do that. I, 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 to be honest, I felt a little bit worried. Gus leads our finance team at Grace Church, so when a message was about finance, so we'll be having words after. <laughs> Right. I didn't mean to start in such a threatening way. Sorry, everyone. Good morning. My name's Ben, and um, it's a pleasure to be speaking to you today. And you've joined us on what is uh, a two-week special that we are calling Building for the Future. And the reason why uh, we're calling it that is because uh, towards the end of this message and next week, we are looking at how we can uh, develop this building uh, and, and we're laying out some plans that we feel are, uh, will help us to fulfill what God has for us as a church. But before we get there, I want to spend some time looking at the church. And by the church, I don't mean Grace Church specifically. I mean the global church, the theology of the church, God's plan for uh, the church. And the church has got nothing to do with any building. Um, The church is about people. So that's where we're going to spend our time. And um, I'm going to be picking up today um, from where JP finished last week. So last week, JP spoke on Matthew 7, didn't he? The, The very popular Sunday school parable about the wise and the foolish builders. You know, the house on the hill versus that shoddy beachside villa. And um Part of exploring this passage, he actually, uh, we turned our eyes to Matthew 16, and and we spent a bit of time there, focusing in on uh, Peter's proclamation about who Jesus is. Now, either God wants to speak to us about this passage, or JP and I spend too much time together. Maybe it's both of them, who knows, but we are going to, we're going to spend some more time in Matthew 16. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 16. In a moment, I'm going to be reading from verse 15, but let me give you a very quick summary of the, the prior few verses. So Jesus is with his disciples, And just prior to this, they've been talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, They were, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the Jewish religious leaders of the time. These these guys, their role was to teach scripture, was to help people understand scripture. And the Old Testament scripture is full of prophetic promises and pointers towards the coming Messiah. Yet they totally missed those massive cultural, those massive scriptural arrows pointing towards Jesus as the fulfillment of those prophetic words. And Jesus has just finished telling them as such. And so now we're back with his, he's back just with his disciples. And he's wondering if his disciples, this uh, real mixed bag of, of individuals, whether they've got a better understanding than the so-called religious leaders of the day. So it feels like his first question is almost a bit like a midterm test. We're in uh, verse 15. It says this. He says to them, who do you say that I am? There's the test. Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And now we're coming to verse 18, which is where we're really going to spend our time. And it says this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As JP said last week, there's a play on words here. Uh, Peter sounds like the Greek word for rock. Petros and Petra. And this feels unfortunate because up until this point, Peter is anything 
but a rock. You know, he's not stable and steady. He's hot-headed and inconsistent. You know, he's, he's an emotions-led individual, you know, who has a sort of at-now, think-later mindset. You're probably imagining someone who's like that. Maybe you are that person. <laughs> and I'm not looking at anyone as I say that. I'm going to have a sip of water and uh, <laughs> carry on. But what's true is there is a real sense of irony to Peter's name. And this happens elsewhere in the Bible. It happens uh, with someone like Abraham. Abraham uh, was named by God, and his name means father of a multitude. Yet when he was named this, he was old and childless before God miraculously provided children for him through which an entire nation descended. And Peter's personality type doesn't match his given name. It's the equivalent of me being associated with a, a great sports person. Now, I always liked team sport growing up, but I was never very fast. I was never very good. What I lacked in speed, I tried to make up for in aggression, um, but that didn't, that didn't go too far. Um, so it, he liked me being named, I don't know, Usain Bolt or Ronaldo. I'm secretly hoping those will stick. Okay, um, but for Peter, the time spent with Jesus day by day, over a couple of years, combined with Peter then encountering the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, changed everything, meant he would become a rock because he encountered the true and living God and God changes everything. Jesus, moment by moment, transformed his naturally extreme character into something more solid and reliable. The Holy Spirit dwelt inside of him and empowered and strengthened him so that step by step, he became a little bit more like the rock he was called to be. Now, this is a, a side point to actually the, the key part of the message I want to get onto, but I just felt in pre preparing for this a real sense that God wanted me to push into it, and it actually meshes beautifully with Harriet's word and Catherine's word. So, um, yeah, be encouraged. I think God wants to speak to a number of specific people here today. Um, this sort of this sense that there's hope for every single one of us. Don't give up on yourself. Don't rule yourself out. Jesus hasn't. If you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and he's helping and empowering you. So the message is keep on going. Just keep stepping into what God's called you to do, and don't let your present circumstances, your personal failings, or even your own natural giftings get in the way of what God has called you to do. And the Bible, this beautiful book, is such an encouragement for us because it's so full of flawed characters who are not naturally brilliant in lots of ways, yet they become incredible heroes of the faith. Abraham was one of them, wasn't he? Like he's, he's, lifted up on, he's lifted up as a hero of the faith, yet as a father and as a husband, he had all sorts of character flaws. Moses... In the moment of anger, he murdered an Egyptian guard. He was also someone who uh, hated public speaking, didn't like that, yet he became one of the greatest leaders uh, ever seen. David, the shepherd boy, the least amongst his brothers, he had all sorts of shortcomings, and yet God made him king of a nation. Like them, God knows your faults, he knows your flaws, and yet he doesn't give up on you. 
What an incredible, incredible grace and mercy. My testimony is one of being flawed and average in so many ways. I didn't expect so many nods in the room. Thanks for that. That was a bit, <laughs> a bit out of order, but we'll carry on. Um, but actually, as I've, through the love of God, him bringing me into his kingdom, and as I've uh, slowly sort of looked to him, I've very slowly, step by step, become a little bit more like the person Jesus has made me to be. And the reality is, I'm at my best, and we are all at our best as a church when we know what God's led us into, and we are totally aware of our flaws and our weaknesses and our failings, and we're real about them, because it's only then, when we have both of those pieces, that we are totally reliant on Jesus as a source of our strength. Okay, well, let's get back to Peter and the passage. The words, this rock has been a source of much controversy. So the Catholic Church, they use this as an argument for Peter being the first pope. This is obviously not where we would land. We don't have a picture of the pope anywhere. We don't come under his authority at Grace Church. However, there is a clear sense that Jesus is commissioning Peter for some great work, isn't there? There is in this passage. And Jesus, God commissions us. Also, he has plans and purposes for each and every one of us. But as you look at the entire sweep of Scripture, a more biblical understanding of, who, of understanding this passage than thinking of it as an argument for Peter as Pope is that as well as Peter being commissioned, Jesus is clearly talking about himself. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, some commentators would actually go as far as to say, uh, when Jesus is saying that, he's, he's pointing to himself, he's gesturing to himself. On this rock, I will build my church. But regardless of whether this is the case or not, this rock is clearly referring to Jesus and Peter's confession of who he is. You got that? So there's a sense that as we confess Jesus, as we worship, as we glorify him, as we have been designed to do, it is him who builds the church. And this fits in with Peter's own life and testimony. Through his letter to Christians suffering and scattered in one Peter, Peter didn't see himself as the rock on which the church is founded. He clearly declares Jesus as the cornerstone and the rock. So turn with me, or the words will come up on the screen as well, to 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 6. It says this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to, to shame. Those last three uh, lines are actually cited from Isaiah, so that's one of the prophetic scriptures that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have known very well, but they missed the point of it. Unlike Peter, this uh, reaction-led, uh, hot-headed fisherman, he got the point that it pointed to Jesus. 
So this is Peter describing this sense that the church is made up of people, it's made up of living stones, and it is Jesus who is both the cornerstone, or we might like to think of it as foundation, and he is the rock on which the church sits. He's the rock and he is the master builder. So he's the cornerstone and the master builder. So let's spend some time now focusing on uh, Jesus' declaration, I will build my church. Okay, let's look at the I. This is the first point. It doesn't say, you will build my church. That's point over. <laughs> well, almost. I, I literally could finish it there. It, you know, you might be thinking, come on, Ben, you're literally just reading words here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, true, but this is a helpful point for us to really hear, and it's one that we are in daily danger of forgetting, isn't it? Ultimately, it's Jesus and not us who builds his church. He is the cornerstone, the one whose life is the foundation for all we do, and we're following his vision, his blueprint, as laid out in Scripture. I'm slowly losing my hair anyway. And I'm, I'm resigned to that fact, you know, I'm in my 40s and it's fine, it, it will gradually recede, I'm sure. But I think the stress of church leadership would mean that I would already be bald if I didn't really regularly remind myself that he builds this wonderful place that we call Grace Church. He has brought us together, each and every one of us together, and he has plans to continue to build us as a spiritual house, as it says in 1 Peter, a place of encounter, of encounter with the true and living God. So he takes our insecurities, he takes our messes, he takes our character flaws, and he's knitting us together into something beautiful. What a reassurance that is, not that any of us uh, have much to do with building a church, but the one who is responsible for building a church, the one is the one who God gave authority to unroll history. <laughs> a miracle-working God-man, born of a virgin 2,000 years ago, that he is the one who is responsible for his church, and nothing is impossible with him. He brings hope to the hopeless, inner peace in troubling times. He transforms lives and relationships. He brings freedom and he breaks chains. He brings safety and security where there's fear and anxiety. And he is our hope, our example, and our deliverer. He is the one who builds the church. So we're in good hands because when he says, I will build my church, it will happen. So how does he build his church? Let's look at those next two words, will build. As we've seen, the church is not a building, it's a people. We are the church, and shortly we're going to be handing out booklets. I've lost one, there it is. Um, we're going to be handing out booklets which outline the vision that we have for developing the building. And I feel so passionate about the, the projects that are listed, and we'll do our best this week and next week to try and communicate the reasons why we believe it is an incredible thing for them to happen. However, let's not for one second get confused about what God is building and ultimately what he's interested in with us. He wants a people 
He wants a people for his own possession. He's not interested in a slightly nicer building. The building is a tool and it is nothing else. So when we look at the projects outlined in these booklets, and you'll get them in about, relax, well, continue, be about five minutes, you can, uh, you can hand them out, but I like your focus. <laughs> um, so when you get the, your booklets, um, let's remind ourselves that when we are in eternity with Jesus, enjoying his perfect presence forever, he's not going to look at you and us and say, well done, good and faithful servant, you built a nice church kitchen. He's not. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, you fed the hungry. And when we look at putting in a lift to improve accessibility to the first floor, a lift in itself, it does not bring him joy, but loving and caring for everyone in our city, regardless of any mobility challenges, that does bring him joy because it reflects his heart. And when we look to make the Sunday entrance it more appealing, he's not going to go, oh, well done, you put in a bit more glass there and you, you, you uh, brought it into the 21st century. You know, it's taken you a while, but you're there. <laughs> but he loves the fact that more people are going to be able to find a community that loves him and they'll be able to meet him. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not keep anyone I've called from coming in and being part of this church family. And just like a family, the church is made up of people. And this is why the picture that Peter laid out, this living stone picture, is so helpful. So we're now going to illustrate it. That we've got a picture of a dry stone wall. Okay, let's live in this analogy for a moment. A dry stone wall's strength is wholly dependent on how the stones are actually stacked. And these things can last for hundreds of years without any mortar or anything. But it's to do with uh, the stones of different shapes and sizes interlocking at different angles to keep the, the, uh, the wall up. And it only happens when you use stones of different shapes and sizes. So um, the spiritual house that Jesus is building is only strong when different shapes, different sizes are being used. So this means that church needs to be made up of, uh, a, it needs to be a place where there is all sorts of cultures and personality types and backgrounds and experiences. Society can build a structure made out of uniform bricks. You know, people who all think the same and at the same, where there's an echo chamber of agreement. But a wall like that is easily knocked down, and Jesus has a better plan. A community where everyone is needed, where everyone has a part to play. So this means that we are not here after some sort of church monoculture where everyone dresses and acts and thinks the same, you know, comes from the same cultural background, because that doesn't express the beauty and the creativity of our saviour, the one that we worship. Instead, we are a place where we want all the nations to be represented, where we want all ages present, where we want introverts and extroverts, where we want academics and those who never really got on at school, creatives and dreamers, as well as planners and administrators, 
those who love a board game and those who would prefer a night out on the town. But this variety of living stones founded on the teachings of Jesus, with him as our cornerstone, with him as our master builder, that's what sets the church apart. It's what gives us strength. And the earliest churches, they were full of people from all sorts of cultures and all sorts of backgrounds, the privileged and the marginalized in society together, worshiping Jesus. I've got a quote here from British church pastor, author, and I'd say friends. It's definitely, we wave to one another. Andrew Wilson, um, he emphasizes the way that the church welcomed a key marginalized group at the t- in society at the time. So it says this. Amid contemporary denunciations of Christianity as patriarchal and sexist, it is easily forgotten that the early church was so especially attracted to women that in AD 370, the Emperor Valentinian issued a written order to Pope Damasus requiring that Christian ministries cease calling at the homes of pagan women. Women were a completely marginalized group in that patriarchal society at a time. They had no rights at all, yet in the church, they were key living stones and they built the early church. Galatians 3, verse 28, this both emphasizes and expands on that example. It says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is a beautiful picture of what a community crafted and and built by Jesus looks like, the master builder. This is the spiritual house that he is building. Finally, let's look at my church. I will build my church. How does Jesus view his church? To give us a flavor, I've just picked out a few ways that the the church is described in the Bible. Um, And as I read them out, I'm going to read them out slowly. They're going to come up on the screen. Just apply them to us. Think about what that actually means for us as church family. The church is the kingdom of God, God's dwelling place. It's a taste of heaven. The church is the fellowship of the saints, the living body of Christ, God's plan for salvation, a light to the world. The church is the bride of Christ and it's of infinite importance. This is not some sort of cozy, insular community that entertains kids with nice parables about being good to one another for an hour every week. That's not what we're about. That we are the vehicle through which our Lord and Savior has chosen to work through to transform the world in such desperate need of his love. And it doesn't need me to say that we are far from perfect, (laughs) but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, we don't always love each other the way that we should because we're made out of self-centered, work-in-progress humans. So along the way, of course, there's going to be disappointments and frustration, but that doesn't take away from the mandate that we have 
and our role as living stones, each and every one of us, to play our part as Jesus builds us into the spiritual house that he's called us to be. Amen? Great. So we're now going to hand out the booklets now. So we'll pause just for a moment. And as these booklets have been handed out, um, I want to uh, spend a moment giving you an update on uh, us as a church in terms of our priorities, uh, which we laid out in September. So, um, so far, I've looked at Jesus's vision uh, for the church, and we're doing our best to follow him with all that we have at Grace Church. And so what we have done is over the last few years, we have laid out yearly priorities um, and they help us as a church to, um, to take steps towards our vision to build a thriving community that reaches Nottingham with the gospel and replicates across the UK. And do you know what? I thought the welcome team would be less efficient than they have been. And so people have got their booklets already. Well done, team. Um, what I would love you to do, I want us to walk through a few pages in a moment so I know it's a temptation. Do you mind shutting them for a, just for a minute? Eyes on me, eyes on me. <laughs> um, shut them just for a minute. I want to give us a very quick update with our priorities, and then we will get into a couple of specifics with the booklets. Okay, so our three priorities for the year that helped enable us to take steps towards our vision were our building, our community, and our family of churches. Now, we put numbers by the side, but they are not in order of priorities. They are all equally important in terms of helping us move forward. A quick update on all three of those. So firstly, looking at our family of churches, uh, we have just spent a month praying together as Grace Connection Family of Churches, and as was brilliantly expressed, um, by in our notices, we are going on a mini break, a uh, long weekend away uh, to Wales with uh, this group just, just to be fa family, just to enjoy each other's company, have fun together. Um, so that's how we're making progress there. Our community. Last term, we focused on a series called God's Plan for Our Wellbeing to try and uh, help our community. And we are regularly looking at how we're doing relationally, um, so much so that last week, JP started his message. Uh, we're talking about the effects of COVID and what effect it's had on relationships and laid out some ways for us to reconnect uh, and strengthen uh, together. And so when it comes to our building, this booklet outlines what we believe we should be doing in order for us to be more effective in what God's called us to be. So now is the time to open up. Thank you for your patience. Okay, there's four key elements um, of our building project. So if you'd like to turn with me, I just want to walk us through the sort of vision and heart over the next two minutes for all of them. So firstly, um, our first... Uh, priority. And we've um, tried to uh, put estimates um, for how much each one of these is going to cost uh, to help. And uh, the first one we have is to do work on our existing kitchen. So you'll see from the photos, what's this, page 10, our existing kitchen is awful. Like, it is, like, it is awful. Um, and it is in that place that week by week, People cooked for over 50 people. I don't know how Chris and the team 
do it as part of our 12 o'clock service. Alpha food as well um, will be, uh, will be uh, prepared in some way in that space. And so we want our kitchen to be more fit for purpose. And so we would love to invest some money in there. Secondly, improving accessibility. Turn, turn with me a couple of pages on. It is, it's currently not good enough that in our diverse church family, people with mobility issues can't get up to the first floor where um, a lot of our kids' work happens. There's a lot of courses and pastoral care that happens. So we want to put a, a lift in place and change that in, because of this offering. Thirdly, improving our visibility. So uh, we did a little survey as a staff team. We, um, we chatted to some, some people on the street, and we asked them what they thought this building was, was for. And the majority response was that it was something to do with helping the homeless. So on one level, that is absolutely amazing, isn't it? That people see this building, and they see that we are reaching out to the needy and the vulnerable in our city. But we want people to know that this is also a church where they are welcome and they'd be loved and cared for so that more people can encounter Jesus. So we'd love to do some work on improving our visibility and improving our entrance. And fourthly, office expansion. So at, over the last few years, one of the trends we've seen is we, we've got more and more uh, volunteers joining the staff team, which, again, is just incredible people's sacrificial giving of their time. Um, and also, um, as there's been a massive expansion in our uh, businesses, so our kingdom-minded business, Grace Enterprises, and then Radiant Cleaners and Jubilee events, that has grown massively. So we now don't have enough space for everyone to be in an office, to have any office space. So there is an awful dilapidated toilet right on the top floor that we would love to convert into usable office space. And finally, there's some other projects that, subject to finances, uh, we would love to, to do. So it's things like putting in a, a baby feeding room over there where you'll feel more part of things, but there's also privacy and some other work in this hall. So please take the time to read through this booklet and prayerfully consider how God wants you to respond. And our plan is to do this together um, and to do it as follows. So this Thursday, we've got a prayer meeting that's happening here. And as part of the prayer meeting, we're going to, uh, you'll have opportunity to look at all of the, the spaces that you might not normally go to. We'll also show a video that will lay out those different spaces. And of course, we're going to be praying together uh, for this. And then next Sunday, we've got week two of this talk. Then we've got a reasonable break before we do offering uh, towards the end of March. And we want to give ourselves plenty of time because we don't want, I don't want anyone here to do a Peter, essentially, this sort of act now in a, in a moment of emotion and then think about it later. What we want is for people to seek God to pray, and then to pray, and then to respond as God encourages each and every one of us to do so. Okay, let's, um, let's have the band. This is, uh, it's a really daunting time for us as a church. We are stepping out into the unknown, but it is also such an exciting time for us as a church family. And with all of this in mind, 
let us remember the whole point of this message, that it is Jesus who builds this church, and we have our privilege in playing our part. So let's step forward in faith together, because as we do, he is glorified, and the world is changed. Great. I might have finished too soon. Are we ready for a son? We're ready for a son. Let's go.